You know, when we're talking about important people on this show, I, I try not to name drop. I, I never want to be that guy who name drops. Paul McCartney told me once that name dropping, it's just a bad habit, so I, I try to avoid it. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I want to start the show today with uh, with two statements, uh, two disclaimers. Before we go any farther, before we talk about the Packers, the Vikings, the World Series, but literally before we do anything else, here at 4.02 p.m., two statements really quickly. Number one, I'm not... I'm not. I'm not going to do the Antonio Brown thing today. I'm not. I'm, I, I don't really want to talk about it. It's not going to happen. Packers aren't going to do it. Antonio Brown's kind of insane. He's just coming off his suspension. I, I. I don't want to do the Antonio Brown thing today. I don't even really want to talk about the possibility of a JJ Watt trade, which this week I guess became a thing. So I, I want to make that clear right now that as we talk about the Packers, we talk about the NFL. I just. I. I just don't want to talk about it. If you want to text or tweet at me and like, yeah, I'll, I'll respond. I'm not going to ignore you, but I'm, I don't want to really spend any time on the show today talking about Antonio Brown working out with Russell Wilson. Tom Brady wants him. Yeah, I good. Good, good for them. I, I don't want to talk about Antonio Brown. That's statement number one. Statement number two. I'm very embarrassed today because I made a mistake uh, that I don't typically make. I made a mistake that a sports radio host should never make. I messed up big time last night and I'm not proud of it, but I am a man. And I will uh, own up to my mistake and admit my mistake. Tell you what I mean in a minute here. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Happy Thursday. We have Thursday night football tonight. Uh, Kind of. It's the Eagles and the Giants. So I don't really know if that counts as football, but it is on TV, uh, which is going to be better than the political debate, I'm sure. I'd rather watch the NFC East than, you know, Biden and and Donnie. So I'm going to watch football anyways. But the game... Probably won't be awesome tonight. No World Series. That's on pause until tomorrow. I want to talk about the Packers today. I want to talk about the Vikings, too, because they, uh, 24 hours, a lot has changed in the last 24 hours with the Minnesota Vikings, including trading away the player they just traded for, Yannick Ngankwe. So we'll talk about that coming up. We're going to talk to Matthew Collar of Purple Insider, talk some Vikings coming up at 4.30. We're going to talk to Evan Flood to talk Badgers uh, he's just kind of a folk hero. Evan Flood, it's funny, you go to high school games, and I've, I've been to some games at Lacrosse Central the last few years where there's some big-name players, some high-level recruits. Evan Flood is is just a man of the people. He's a folk hero. So I'm like, we, we got to get Evan on. I, we'll just talk Badger football as they open their season tomorrow. So Evan will join the show at 5.30. Other than that, Packers, Vikings, and, of course, your calls and texts at 608-796-2558. You can also tweet at me at Wisco Grant. Okay, let's get let's get down to brass tacks. I messed up yesterday. It's very embarrassing, and I'm I'm not proud of it. Yesterday, we talked about the World Series, the payroll, Rob Manfred, Mookie Betts. It was, it was fun, right? It was a good time. I had such a blast talking about the World Series, and I left work last night, and I go over to my buddy's garage across the river over in La Crescent, Minnesota, and we had band practice, right? It was great. We had the drummer, the bass. It's the stars aligned, and we had every member there last night. It was a blast. Put my phone away. We were playing music till about 1030 uh, 10, 1045, always fun. And I got home around 1045, 11, and then I realized that game two of the World Series was last night. I completely missed it. I didn't watch a single minute. I didn't even know what was going on until the final score, which is 100% my fault because I I thought they would take a day in between game one and game two. 
even though everything's kind of been expedited and, and smashed together due to COVID, I thought they'd take a day off. My bad. It turns out I went back to look at the schedule last year because I immediately wanted to blame everyone else for missing the game. I looked at the schedule for last year, and yeah, I guess they, they don't take days off between games. Games one and two. So I missed it 100%. So I had to catch up on everything that I missed, do some reading, do some rewatching. I'm an idiot. And I and I apologize for that. And I missed a Rays win. I, I didn't necessarily think the Rays would make this a series. Now, that might be the only game the Rays win. Who knows? But if that's the case, at least they got it in game two. So this can be a competitive series. If the Dodgers go up 2 nothing, 3 nothing, eh, starts to lose some of its intrigue. But a series evened at 1-1. All right, Tampa Bay, I see you. The Rays won last night 6-4, to four, and they really had control of it from early on. They got a run in the first, a couple of runs in the fourth and the fifth, and, and at that point it was kind of out of hand. They ended up winning 6-4. to four. The Dodgers did get a uh, an honorary Justin Smoke one run in the eighth inning, but that was it. Uh, after the fifth or the sixth inning, it had kind of started to wrap up, and, and I think it was out of hand. The Rays won, made it a series, and shout out to former Brewer G-Man Choi who has just found himself a home down in Tampa Bay. And is it Tropicana Field? I don't even know what their weird Metrodome-looking field is called anymore. G-Man Choi has settled in and become a really solid player and a fun player to watch. He was always fun to watch. Turns out last night, and I didn't know this, it surprised me, he's the first Korean-born player to ever get a hit in the World Series. Which, you know, between Japan and Korea, there's such a baseball presence over there, I wouldn't have guessed. I wouldn't have expected that, but good for G-Man Choi. I mean, this is a G-Man Choi show. Uh, two weeks ago, when we were talking about the Brewers' offense and how it took a step back this year, we are talking about how they can't develop bats or can't develop pitchers or their farm system is failing, whatever. And, and, and I said, look, they, they developed a lot of bats. They traded a few of them away. G-Man Choi is one down in Tampa Bay. And last night, he became the first Korean-born player to get a hit in the Fall Classic, the World Series, which is really, really cool. Kind of a cool... A uh, little footnote and maybe, just maybe, a trivia question that you will run into at some point. So file that in the back of your mind. All, all of my mind is useless facts, but I know a lot of you probably reserve headspace for things that are actually important. So tuck that G-Man Choi factoid in the back of your mind where you can find some space. On the pitching front, Blake Snell was really, really good through four innings last night. He was actually historic in the way that he struck out batters through four innings and didn't allow a hit through four innings. The only start that matched what Blake Snell did last night was performed by Sandy Koufax back in the day. It's only four innings. It's not like you want a complete game, but still historically great, at least in the sense of strikeouts and no hits. Four innings is all the the Rays needed. That's all they needed to get into their bullpen with a lead. And it's very Brewers-like, isn't it? The way that the Rays manage and the way that they play and, and the way they navigate through a game. I think that's what tells one team from another team. That's where strategies can vary, right? Is how do you navigate through nine innings? How do you navigate 27 outs, right? Craig Council, much like we saw with the Tampa Bay Rays last night, if you can get a starter through the fourth inning, if you just get them in, into the fifth, right? Then the bullpen can take over. That was the Brewers' motto back in 2018. I hope that if they contend in the next couple of years, hopefully next year, because as I've talked about, I, I think they're just a couple bats away. If the Brewers are contending, Soon, I-, I want them to use that model from 2018, the model that the Rays are using right now, because I think it's an effective, efficient, cheap way to contend for a World Series. And what the Rays are doing right now very much so mirrors what the Brewers did two years ago. The Rays are 35 and 0 when leading after the seventh inning this season. 
that speaks to the dominance of their bullpen. So many righties, so many lefties, all of which can throw 100 miles an hour. This team is so damn similar to the 2018 Brewers in the way that they navigate through innings. Now, this Rays team has Tyler Glass now, and they have Blake Snell, two top, top-level starters. But other than that, this team mirrors the Brewers in almost every facet, the way they navigate through the fourth to the ninth inning, or in last night, the middle of the fifth inning to the ninth inning. Nick Anderson, Tampa Bay's best reliever. I don't know if you caught this last night if you watched the game. The best reliever for Tampa, Nick Anderson, was the first man out of the bullpen. He didn't close the game. He was the first man out of the bullpen. This makes sense for a lot of reasons, especially if you're you're bringing on the first reliever with traffic on the bases. I think you want your best reliever coming in if there are runners on base because you don't want to allow those runners to come home naturally. But I think it also makes sense when the Rays brought in Nick Anderson, they had a lead, right? And if you can bring your bullpen pitcher in and get through that inning cleanly, you don't really crack the door open for the Dodgers offense, right? The Tampa Bay didn't really crack the door open for the Dodgers offense. Much like if the Brewers make it through, say, four innings, Corbin Burns starts a playoff game. Let's say he goes four innings, gets into the fifth, and he gives up a single. So he's pulled. And they bring in Corey Knable, right? If Corey Knable can slam the door in that fifth inning, it kind of kills any momentum that the opposition might hope for, right? So, oh, we finally chase the starter. All right, let's get some runs across. Nope. And if you can slam the door home in that moment, right, then it, it, it just seems like an uphill battle from there on out because you're starting the, the innings, obviously, with nobody on base. And as you venture deeper and deeper into the innings, the pressure gets higher. You have fewer outs to play with. And the bullpen is tough as nails, both in the case of the 2018 Brewers and Corey Knable and Nick Anderson and the 2020 Tampa Bay Rays. We saw even up the series last night. The Dodgers had a bullpen game last night. They used seven pitchers total and none of the relievers went longer than two innings. Now, remember, if you're just joining the show, I didn't see a second of the game last night. I forgot it was on. I thought it was tonight. I thought they were taking a day off. So I watched highlights, and I I feel like I have a great handle on the game. It's not like I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I know what happened last night. But you, you got to remember, when it happened, I wasn't watching. I missed it live completely. So before bed last night, and I stayed up way too late because I figured out that I missed a baseball game. I'm like, well, I got to get caught up. I'm scrolling through Twitter. It was after 11 o'clock last night. And I was very confused because I saw a lot of members of the Los Angeles media tweeting, hating on a bullpen game. Like, oh, you should never do a bullpen game in the postseason. Oh, analytics are ruining baseball. And when I saw these tweets, I figured that Tampa Bay did a bullpen game. And I thought, good for them. Good for them. Going against traditional wisdom and going against baseball purists and playing to your strength. Playing to your bullpen, right? But then I realized that Los Angeles was a team that did a bullpen day. And I'm, what? Which, I guess, Los Angeles lost. Makes sense why the Los Angeles media would be upset about a bullpen game in game two. But, like, I I was so surprised. I was like, wait, the Dodgers did a bullpen game? And, wait, it went poorly? Wait, wait, wait. So so you're telling me that bullpenning isn't easy? Telling me it's not a gimmick? Hmm. Interesting. So it's not just as simple as throwing a bunch of bullpen arms out there one after another? So there's strategy involved. Oh, oh, okay. Good to know. Interesting. That's a, uh, it's another check, check in the box. Another point in the, uh, council is a better manager than he gets credit for column. Pin that one down, save it for later. Bullpenning. It's not just like, all right, we have six bullpen guys go get through nine innings. It's not that simple, right? A manager really has to be in tune with his relievers. Manager really has to know the time and place to most effectively use each reliever. 
And a manager has to know the strengths and the weaknesses of all of his arms, right? Some relievers might be great out of the gun in the fifth inning. But that doesn't mean you want to use them in the eighth or the ninth. Some guys only thrive in the eighth or the ninth inning. Some guys thrive when you bring them on with runners on base. It's the job of a manager to learn all those little details and ins and outs as it appears has gone down in Tampa Bay. And as I've said a couple of hundred times on this show over the last few years, Craig Council has definitely figured out that formula in Milwaukee. It's not just as simple as, well, the Dodgers have a lot of good relievers. Dave Roberts is a good manager. He'll figure it out. No, no, no. It's not that simple. And it was interesting last night to see some of the best reactions from members of the Los Angeles media. Jorge Sedano, Sedano, and I apologize. He is at uh, ESPN in Los Angeles. He's on the jump around the Horn Sports Center. Sideline reporter, and he's not going to lose sleep if I'm mispronouncing his name. But last night he tweeted this. Call me a traditionalist. I'll never understand the bullpen game in game two of a playoff game. And bullpen game is in quotes. Like, you don't need to put it in quotes. We know what you're talking about. I get pitchers generally have much shorter outings now. However, I think it's necessary to have someone take as much of the workload as possible. Just me, I guess. And then I'm reading this guy's mentions because I'm lame and it was midnight and I had nothing better to do. And there are all these Dodger fans saying, yeah, amen. Amen. Analytics is ruining the game. Bullpenning is a terrible strategy. It's stupid. It's dumb. It waters down the sport. And then Jason Cole, who's as respected as an NFL author as you have. He just wrote a book on Elway. He's got like 80,000 followers. A lot of people that I follow and respect follow Jason Cole. And he's like, it's ridiculous to have a bullpen game in the World Series. Disrespectful. It's like, would you, would you both chill? First of all, take a break from yelling at kids who are in your yard. Take a break and realize that this is the way that baseball is moving. And I love, 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 love how people, these two people, Jason Cole and Jorge Sedano, as I just used as examples, I love how people cast off bullpenning as analytics. Analytics is ruining the game. I I don't think it's analytics. I am not a calculus teacher, and it makes sense to me. Right? I, I'm not Chubby Cheeks, Jonah Hill, and Moneyball. Like, I, I, I don't even have a calculator. I don't have a graphing calculator. It makes sense to me. It's not analytics. It's not the numbers. It's just common sense. We talked about on yesterday's show how postseason pitchers struggle more than they do in the regular season, right? Clayton Kershaw's numbers drop in the postseason. Why? Because it's harder to get outs in the postseason. You're going against better hitters, better lineups, better teams in bigger moments, and there's no free pitches, right? That's why numbers drop off in the postseason. For that reason, it makes sense to have bullpen arms in waiting because it takes longer for pitchers to navigate innings. More effort on a pitch-by-pitch, batter-by-batter basis for the sake of starting pitchers, that leads to shorter outings. Blake Snell had an outing last night that's statistically on par with Sandy Colfax and Sandy Colfax only, and he barely got into the fifth inning. Why? Because starting pitchers don't go as deep into games. Postseason difficulties, shorter outings, Two reasons that bullpenning makes 100% of sense. And the most important reason of all, and this is why Tampa Bay and Milwaukee have embraced bullpenning when some big market media members turn their nose up at it and say, get off my lawn. The money between starting pitchers and relief pitchers, the difference is astounding. If you look at average annual value or per year you know, pay for starting pitchers, the highest in the league is Garrett Cole at 36. Steven Strasburg is at 35. Zach Greinke, 34. Justin Verlander, 33. The top of the line arms in Major League Baseball. They're making between 30 and 40 million a year. Relief pitchers? The best one in the league is Kenley Jansen. The most expensive one in the league is Kenley Jansen. He's making 16 million million a year. That's 
less than half of what Garrett Cole is making. So a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, the payroll is less than $30 million, have to be a little bit smarter with how they spend money and how they build their team. Yeah, they're going to stack up a bunch of great relief pitchers, not a bunch of great starters. It's cheaper. It makes sense with the trends we're seeing in baseball. It's not the numbers. It's not the analytics, although I'm sure those numbers back up bullpenning as well. It's common sense. Get on board with it. It was just interesting to see the dusty old baseball media turn their nose up at what the the Rays did last night, even though it worked to perfection and fits their team to perfection and fits their payroll to perfection. God, embrace it. Embrace it. It's fun. Bullpenning is fun. It's a different strategy. It shakes up the game, and it's good for small market teams, which helps competitive balance. Everything baseball needs, everything baseball should be in support of, but yet is not, which is kind of the MO of baseball. Hate things they should love, support things that they shouldn't support. Make rule changes that nobody wants. You know, just Rob Manfred things, baseball things. Let's take a break. Let's get into the Vikings because they had an insane day. A lot of news broke this morning, and we've all been reading and reacting to what's going on with the Vikings ever since. Shake up in the NFC North and in the Vikings organization. We'll talk about that coming up next year on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you're doing well. So close to the weekend. I... If you know me, I just consider the weekend starting on Thursday. So congratulations. We made it to the weekend. I know we got to go to work tomorrow, but who cares? Thursday night football on tonight. Going to get home. Maybe crack a, uh, a light beer or two. Maybe get a little out of control tonight. Maybe I'll start falling asleep before halftime. Who knows? <laughs> We're going to talk to Matthew Collar of... God. We're going to talk to Matthew Collar of Purple Insider. Coming up here in about 10 minutes to talk Minnesota Vikings. They had a heck of a day. I woke up this morning, and over the next two hours, the Vikings, they just got after it. So they traded away Unique Ngankwe today, and I I didn't see that coming. It looks like Daniil Hunter's going to miss the rest of the year. So things uh, uh, slided for the Vikings quickly today. They kind of entered full rebuild, uh, rebuild mode very, very quickly. And it's been a wild couple of weeks for the Minnesota Vikings because they almost beat the Titans, almost beat the Seahawks. And then they were blown out by the Atlanta Falcons, who were 0-5 and had just fired their head coach. All of that considered, everything that we've seen and heard and watched from the Vikings so far this year, they still managed to shock me this morning. I didn't think it could be done. They traded away Unique Ngankwe, who they traded for on August 31st. And at the time, on August 31st, they gave up a second and a fifth rounder. They're getting a little bit less back in compensation. They're getting a third round pick back. Now, the dream when this happened at the end of August was for Ngakwe to be paired with Daniil Hunter. That was going to be the pass-rushing duo, right? Oh, God. And Vikings fans, and me as a Packer fan, I thought the same thing. Like, man, that, those two together are going to be a force for the next three, four, five years, right? That, that's the pass-rush of the future for the Minnesota Vikings, and I don't know why I'm <laughs> struggling to talk today. That could be the pass-rush of the future for the Minnesota Vikings. There we go. Everson Griffin is gone. So Daniil Hunter steps up, takes his place, but now they get to get another guy, so they get Yannick Ngankwe. There's the duo, right? And it was very similar to the way the Brewers were rumored to be in on Craig Kimbrell in early 2019. Remember when this happened? Because the the Brewers had just come off that deep playoff run. Their bullpen is nails. It's tough. It's great. And then it's rumored and reported that the Brewers are in on uh, Craig Kimbrell. And Brewers fans are like, let's go. We're going to have the best bullpen in baseball. Get another great arm. To pair with Jeremy Jeffress, Josh Hader, and Corey Knable. And then the news came out that Corey Knable needs Tommy John. And all the Brewers fans like, okay, th- and th- that makes sense. Okay, that's why they were looking into Craig Kimbrell. And very similarly, 
the Vikings did the same. They trade for Unique Ngakwe, and everybody thinks, oh, what a what a duo, what a combination they're going to be. And then it comes out that, you, you know, Daniil Hunter is probably going to need surgery to end the season, and it all makes sense, and it's disappointing the same way it was disappointing for the Brewers in 2019. Like with the Brewers, it, it just never really worked out like Vikings fans hoped. A tough day for Vikings fans today. And, and I thought Chad Graff of The Athletic, who I hope to have on in the next week or so, he wasn't available today, I thought he summed it up very well with what happened today. Number one, the Vikings traded Yannick Ngakwe, dropping about 50 spots in the draft for six games total. Daniil Hunter is undergoing serious season-ending surgery. He's got a herniated disc. And the GM, Rick Spielman, declined to commit to a rebuild in his presser today. I thought Chad Graff summed it up pretty well. Those are the big bullet points. That's what you need to know. They traded their stud pass rusher, lost some spots in the draft for ultimately six games, only one of which they won. Daniil Hunter is getting surgery on his neck on a herniated disc. That's nothing if not serious. And the GM, Rick Spielman, said, I wouldn't say we're rebuilding. I wouldn't say that. What is the direction for the Minnesota Vikings right now? Because they're paying huge money to their quarterback. They just started paying huge money to their running back. And their defense is essentially a ground zero defense. Meaning that they're building from the ground up. Right? They also just convinced their left tackle to take a pay cut so they could give money to Yannick Ngakwe, who they just traded away. There's a lot of different position groups and a lot of different players who are trending in different directions in their career arc or in their paycheck arc. Right? Kirk's getting a lot of money. Dalvin Cook's getting a lot of money. The rest of their team is young and cheap, except for some offensive linemen and, like, Anthony Harris is playing for an expensive deal right now, but it's not long-term. And Harrison Smith is aging, and he's expensive. There's a lot going on. There's not one straight path. There's not one obvious path that this team is on. Now, I think Rick Spielman has done a really, really good job drafting talent. I think he's done a great job. His comments today were odd. He's done such a great job drafting and building this team up, at least through 2017-2018, We'll see with the last two years how these players pan out. A lot of secondary players. But I think Rick Spielman paid the wrong guys at the wrong time. Like, did you have to extend Kirk Cousins? Did you have to pay Dalvin Cook, given everything going on with this team? I'm just not sure. Here's some quotes today. When he was asked if the Vikings were in a rebuild, Rick Spielman pointed out in his press availability that his team has two good wide receivers, an emerging tight end, and a really good running back. The direct quote, I don't know if you'd call that a rebuild or not. Well, I mean, you can dress it up any way you want. Rebuild or retool or reload. There's lots of ways you can spin these things. When asked about Kirk Cousins, Rick Spielman said, I don't have any doubt that he's going to be able to rally. I don't think anybody has lost faith in Kirk Cousins. Um, Who wants to tell him? (laughs) Who Who should tell Rick Spielman? Who wants to tell him that not only have fans lost faith in Kirk Cousins, I... I don't know if there was any faith left to be lost in Kirk Cousins at this point. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm not trying to rip Kirk Cousins, but that is the nature and that is the the current state of the Vikings organization. They have a really expensive quarterback that no one really likes. They have an expensive wide receiver, a young wide receiver. They have an expensive safety who's great, a young safety who's great, a secondary that uh, they're just out of college, and a defensive line that is not what it was two years ago. What's the direction of this team? I don't, I don't know what the direction of the Vikings team is. I'm not sure Rick Spielman knows because in his press conference today, he, he seemed to point out that 
well, we got great wide receivers, emerging tight end, great running back. Is that a rebuild? Is that not a rebuild? I, I don't know, Rick. You're the GM. You tell me. It's it's an interesting set of circumstances. I see everybody want Zimmer and Spielman fired. You just extended them both, and they just began to rebuild that defense. Spielman assumedly consulted Zimmer and the types of players that he wanted. So what are you going to cut loose Zimmer, cut loose Spielman? It's it's a mess. They have some decisions to make in the coming weeks and certainly in this offseason as well, as it seems as though the Vikings are punting on the remainder of the season. Let's talk to Matthew Collier of Purple Insider. Matthew Collier, excuse me. We'll do that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Thanks for hanging out. And if you want to join the show, you are welcome to do so. I'd love to hear from you. 608-796-2558. Twitter is always wide open as well, at Wisco Grant. That's where you can find me one hour from now. One hour from now. We're going to talk to Wisconsin Insider and folk hero all around this great state. That's Evan Flood coming up at 530 to talk Badger football. We'll get to the Packers coming up here in, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes. Whenever we get to it, we're going to turn the page from last week's loss to hopefully this upcoming weekend's victory. Positive Grant woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. We're going to turn the page. It's finally time. Enough complaining. Let's start hoping. Let's start uh, feeling optimistic about this upcoming game. The Vikings, if you haven't been paying attention or you don't care about the Vikings or you just haven't had time to, to read into it today, they made some moves this morning, including trading Yannick Ngankwe. Uh, they did get a pick in return, but it's not as good as the pick they gave up. They essentially tried him out for six games and decided, eh, nah, not for us, not worth the long-term investment. We'll take a tiny loss here in the short term to avoid a big headache in the long term. It also looks like Daniil Hunter, their other star pass rusher, well, I guess their one star pass rusher remaining after the trade, looks like he's going to get season-ending surgery. So to break all of this down, because there's a lot going on with the Packers' rival across the river, let's talk to Matt Collier, or I keep saying Collier, and I apologize. I'm a, uh, one of my favorite musicians is Jacob Collier. Uh, so Matt, I, uh, I apologize. Your name is very easy to say, much easier than a lot of guests I have on the show. That's Matt Collier. And talk some Vikings. Matthew Collar of Purple Insider joining us on the Wisco Sports Show. Firstly, appreciate it a bunch because I know you're in demand like crazy today with everything going on with the Vikings. Uh, let's start with Ngankwe and then I have a big picture question or two. But let's start specific. I think there was a moment when this Ngankwe trade first happened in late August where Vikings fans and, and football fans as a whole pictured the duo of Hunter and Ngankwe and they were going to be this dominant pair for years to come. Was that ever in the cards, or was that something that fans just thought of? Did the Vikings know all along that Hunter's injury was bad, and that was the motivator for the trade in the first place? Was that vision of these two playing together, was that ever in the cards, or was that not the reality from from August 31st when this trade happened? You know, that's what's a little bit hard to figure out, because the way that Rick Spielman presented it on his Zoom call with the media today was that they envisioned... Ngakwe and Daniil Hunter as this, like you said, a dynamic duo that would be making each other better and making it impossible for teams to double-team both guys and, and so forth. But at the same time, Daniil Hunter was not practicing at the time that they traded for Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. And it looked from the outside like maybe was this a, a panic trade to try and replace the production of Daniil Hunter. And if you're the general manager, you're not going to present it to the public as, oh, yeah, we panicked and screwed up, right? You're going to say that, you know, it, it was more of a, like, let's see how these two look together. But, you know, I think there was another part uh, of the fan base that thought 
this is going to be a long-term thing. Like, they're going to get Ngakwe. He's fairly young. They're going to sign him to a long-term contract extension, and then, boom, you have your edge rusher set for a long time, just like they had with Hunter and Everson Griffin. But I think as these first couple of games played out, maybe Yannick Ngakwe wasn't quite what they thought. And they realized, you know what, this is not a guy that you necessarily pay $20 million a year for. And that was kind of my takeaway from watching him closely in these six games is, He's a good pass rusher from time to time, but if you're thinking he's an Everson Griffin that's going to play every snap and dominate the run in the pass, uh, that's just not really um, Yannick Ngakwe. He's more of a situational type of rusher, and the fact that you know when they brought him in, he was trying to use some of their techniques, and then he kind of went back to being a stand-up rusher, which is not what Mike Zimmer wants. Like I think this just ended up not being a very good pick, and it was the, the right plan even though it doesn't look good it was the right plan to move on now rather than doubling down and signing him to a contract that would not have been good in the future oh well well, I agree I've seen Rick Spielman taking a lot of heat today and I'm like well you can call it a panic move It, it was more of an exploratory thing for me you do your due diligence and see what's going on if you love him, you keep him around. If not, you trade him. You don't go throwing good money after bad money, even if it looks bad, because you know you you end up getting less in draft compensation than you had in the first place. But I I got to be honest, as a Packers fan, I've been pretty impressed with Spielman's drafts. Um, maybe not the last two years, although you know those drafts have yet to play out, especially at positions like linebacker and safety, because the Packers just can't. I mean, they can't get a good linebacker to save their life, at least on the inside, like Kendricks, who is God. I wish the Packers had Kendricks. From 2017 to now, where did things start to go wrong for Spielman? Because whether he'll say it or not, it seems like the Vikings are about to rebuild. What decisions did Rick Spielman make over the course of the last two or three years that led them from NFC Championship game to where they are now? Yeah, I think that that NFC Championship game, like getting there and then losing the way that they did, really made this team go into win-now slash panic to win now type of mode because that's where the expectation all of a sudden got set was if you don't get to the Super Bowl, if you don't get back to the NFC Championship, then it's a failure. And that's where you end up with Kirk Cousins coming into this mix is where, you know, they believe that if they just played a little bit better at quarterback, that maybe, you know, they would go farther than they did with Case Keenum. And, you know, in hindsight, it was maybe a little unrealistic because as you see all the time, and even the Packers have seen this, where you have rosters that sort of peak and then fall off pretty quickly, and then mm-hmm. peak and then fall off quickly. I mean, think about where the Eagles are right now. I mean, they're terrible right now, and just uh, they beat the Vikings in that NFC Championship, but it's been the same kind of thing, just sort of you know chasing after that and making uh, moves like this to get Ngakwe, where you know when they make the move, it's a win-now type of move on a team that needed to be more realistic. And the same thing goes for extending Kirk Cousins, who is a good quarterback, but he's a very, very expensive quarterback that is not an Aaron Rodgers who can get you over the hump, right? So, um, you know, I think that that's been a major influence to a lot of their moves. Is we went to the NFC Championship, we got to get back. And, you know, I, I think that this plays into it, that they could not look at it objectively this offseason and say we're losing a lot of talent because of our cap situation. We really have to focus entirely on the future. And they did something that was more of a win-now move, and then it blows up in their face, and it hurts them in the future because, you know, now they drop down, I mean, 30, 40, 50 spots in the draft potentially, depending on where Baltimore picks in the third round. I mean, that's not something that's going to help you uh, long-term. So I think that that's all kind of played into the moves that have not worked at times for Rick Spielman. 
Matthew Collar of Purple Insider joining us, and I appreciate your time because I know you're busy today. Everybody wants to talk to the Vikings beat about what's going on because it's been such a crazy day. Uh, Last question for you, Matt. The Vikings have two different trends on their team. They kind of have two different camps. They have the win-now players in contracts, like the quarterback, the running back. They have two expensive safeties. One is aging, right? But then their cornerbacks are all super green, and their offensive line is super young. So they have two, two different groups of players trending in opposite directions. If Spielman does continue as the GM, which I know Twitter does not want, apparently. I've looked at Vikings <laughs> Twitter, and like that's not what Twitter wants, but I don't think Spielman's going anywhere. How does he balance this out and get the Vikings at least consistent and trending in the right direction? Whether he'll call it a rebuild or not, what does he need to do in the next year to balance out this roster? Yeah, I think the best thing that Rick Spielman could do, and like you said, I mean, there's only so much that you could say publicly, you know, and so mm-hmm. people will take quotes on Twitter and blow them up, right? You know, he said today that he has faith in Kirk Cousins, but the best thing that you could do is to draft a quarterback next offseason and go with the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes plan of playing, um, playing out the contract with Cousins and then maybe trying to deal him in the last year of his deal and then turn it over to somebody else and around that rebuild everything else through the draft and then through, you know, savvy signings and player development and things like that. Like you have to now, as reality has kicked you in the teeth, look at it and say, okay, this shouldn't be a, hey, next year we're just going to, you know, bounce right back and go win the Super Bowl or something. Like this could take a couple of years and and we're going to have to have more of a shrewd and realistic approach. And I think that if they traded away players like, Riley Reef or Kyle Rudolph here at the upcoming deadline, even maybe someone like Harrison Smith, mm-hmm. who's a veteran and he's on the second half of his career, uh, but still playing really well and has value. Like if you get really realistic here and look at this from a long-term perspective, you could rebuild it and be in a really good situation in just a couple of years. But if the plan is to keep all the players that they have now and then just try to sign somebody in the offseason, going to be the answer, then I think you're going to end up with next year not looking that much different from this year. So, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what Rick Spielman uh, decides to do and whether, like you said, whether he goes anywhere, because I would not entirely count any any of that out. I mean, as they go forward, I mean, there have been enough mistakes here to be in this situation. And really, since 2017, they have not met that, that expectation again. And, you know, how much longer does ownership get uh, or give before they decide to make a change? So the upcoming weeks, I think, will be very interesting. And I think that they'll be judged by ownership on just how much progress is made. And that is very much going to start, uh, you know, not this week, but next week in Green Bay. So don't look for the quick fix, right? Be patient as this team continues to to rebuild and hit your draft picks. That's always a given, right? Matthew Collar of Purple Insider, I appreciate you so much today. I was scrambling trying to find a Vikings guest. This is exactly what I needed. I feel a lot better about what we're saying about the Vikings now. I appreciate you and, and enjoy the rest of the season. Be well, Matthew. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Matthew Collar of Purple Insider. That's something that that needs to go away when you're saying hello or goodbye to somebody in 2020. You're like, be well. I that and the word social distancing. We need to get rid of those things. But thanks again for Matthew Collar for joining us. You can find him on Twitter at Matthew Collar and the Purple Insider. Really well-written stuff. And I was referencing it a lot today when I was trying to educate myself on exactly what's going on in Minnesota. The point about the 2017 NFC Championship game is a good one. Is it an interesting comparison with the Packers? Think about it, right? The Vikings come within one game of the Super Bowl. They get completely beaten in every facet of the game, offense, defense, special teams, in that game against Philadelphia. 
And then they come back the next year and they're like, hey, we were one game away. Let's do it. And they sign Kirk Cousins. And ever since that has happened financially, this team has kind of been playing from, you know, behind the eight ball. What if the Packers would have done the same thing after last year? All right, we're one game away from the Super Bowl. Let's go sign the most expensive player possible at wide receiver, edge rusher, defensive line, offensive line, linebacker, right? The Packers go out and similar to what the Vikings did with Kirk Cousins, sign a top of the line free agent because after all, they were one game away. Financially, what would that have done, especially given that the Packers have five or six starters coming up to be free agents in this upcoming offseason? You can hate what the Packers did this offseason, especially in the draft, but look no further than across the river at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings went for it after coming within one game of the Super Bowl, and they're paying for it now, and it looks like they might have to tear it down. To some extent, we can argue on the extent to which they have to tear it down, but it looks like the Vikings are going to have to tear it down and rebuild it back up. The Packers are just mellow. They're sustaining success. Two different approaches to similar outcomes, losing in the NFC Championship game in blowout fashion. The Packers are still afloat. Of course, having Aaron Rodgers helps that. The Vikings needing to operate a little bit differently. So it's an interesting comparison and and maybe a good piece of perspective if you ever feel mad at the Packers for not going for it and not pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. That's the analogy everybody likes to use. Okay, when we come back, positive Grant Woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. I want to start to turn the page and look forward to next week's game, Sunday's game. Instead of complaining and continuing to complain about the Buccaneers' loss on Sunday, let's turn the page and start to preview this upcoming game on Sunday. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. We're just a little bit over 24 hours away from the start of the Big Ten season, the Badger season. It, it doesn't quite feel real yet. I think when I sit down tomorrow, it's all going to hit me at once, and I'm going to be amped. I'll probably be up until 2 a.m. after the game. The Badgers are playing Illinois, and we'll talk more about the game tomorrow and preview it more tomorrow. But right now, to hit some big-picture topics, Evan Flood, uh, Wisconsin insider for 24-7 and for CBS. And, Evan, I've also been kind of hyping you up today as a folk hero because last basketball season, I, I realized something, and I would love if you could explain this to me. When I was at Lacrosse Central Games or covering games with big name players around this area, games that you showed up for and covered, the the student body and basketball fans just around the state just love you. They cheer your name. Did that start for any particular reason or is this just a a crown that they placed on your head that you didn't ask for? I want to know the story here. Yeah, there really isn't uh, any story. I remember I think it was last season or early. I think I went to Lacrosse Central on a last game and they just started (laughs) Yelling my name never happened before ever. Uh, I mean, I've been there, uh, you know, I don't know, for the last five or six years, pretty regularly. Yeah, Kobe King and started going to his games when he was a, a sophomore. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen me there pretty frequently. But yeah, you know, no, no background story to it. They're just, uh, they're just really nice and good to me out there in lacrosse. Yeah, well, the games at on Alaska and Central, they're really, really fun, and and I'm hoping that we get. Some semblance of normalcy for winter sports this year. We'll see. Obviously, we're a little ways off. I want to start with, I I just want your perspective on this. When the ball is kicked off tomorrow night, like, do you think this is going to feel like business as usual? Or do you think this is going to be a really surreal kind of precarious football season that'll feel like it could be canceled at any time? Because I I don't know how this is going to go. What do you think the feeling is like tomorrow night and, and through the first week or so as the Big Ten gets started? Yeah, you know, probably somewhere in, in between. I mean, it, it, the first thing is going to be weird without fans. I, I think it's going to be uh, stranger to us 
um, you know, especially, you know, whether you're in, you're in the press box or they're just watching from home and, you know, just not getting that true game day atmosphere. I don't think the players will mind it as much as people may think. Uh, obviously, they practice, um, you know, all the time in Camp Randall or whatever stadium without fans. Um, you know, they've grown up, you know, essentially playing in front of small crowds. And, you know, anybody with any type of competitive gene knows it's not that hard to get up, yeah. you know, for, for any game, especially at, at this level. I mean, you can still find 40-year-olds in rec leagues that, that love that stuff, you know, bring it 100% every time. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, just the energy from the players is necessarily going to suffer a ton um, you know, however, I think, you know, those, those big swings, maybe we're used to in college football, you know, maybe that goes away. Do we see something similar to the NBA bubble where, you know, the lack of crowd there is, is kind of the great equalizer and, you know, whoever, uh, who's ever bench or in this case, sidelines is, is kind of just really into the game, amping it up constantly, you know, can go the farthest, you know, kind of like we saw heat Lakers, you know, two teams that, um, you know, have just very energetic benches. And, you know, I think a lot of people credit them for, for that type of success. But, you know, in terms of this thing potentially stopping midway through, I, I don't see it. I think we're all in at this point. Um, now, obviously, there's COVID restrictions in place where, you know, 5% of your team uh, tests positive, then you have to shut down. And, you know, there's no bye weeks, which, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can play two games a week. Um, you know, so so there's some difficult potential scenarios there. So it'll be up to the players uh, to kind of make smart decisions away from the football field. But, you know, University of Wisconsin-Madison just came out with a study today that's, you know, showing that this thing isn't really transmissible through uh, con- um, in, in contact sports, which I think is, is big um, and, and certainly will help things move forward, you know, if other studies come out as well and, you know, can kind of prove the similar things that, that they have. Um, so, so I don't see, you know, foresee any, any stoppages here. You know, I think we're all in at this point, you know, we're in too deep after already canceling the season once. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you on now, especially when you look at, you know, we're, we're seven weeks in to everybody else around the country with, with the exception of Pac-12. There haven't been any hospitalizations. At least that I'm aware of. So, so I, I think we're good to go. Yeah, I, I'm hoping so too. The, I mean, Camp Randall. Some of these college stadiums are way bigger than NFL stadiums because they're so old, right? They were built back in the day where everyone went to the game. It, it's going to look really, really odd with an empty Camp Randall. I'll get used to it, like we're getting used to every you know every other sporting event without fans. Evan Flood joining us on the Wisco Sports Show. Offensively, the story so far this year. I've talked to Colton Bartholomew, Zach Heilprin. The story's been about Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis, which I 100% get because they are the seniors that couldn't quite make it happen two years ago, but now in their senior year, they're expected to step up and be the number one and number two, or I guess both number one options, however you want to spin it. I actually want to ask you about Garrett Groshek because he's played the role of this third down pass catching screenplay running back the last couple of years, and he's backed up Jonathan Taylor. With Jonathan Taylor gone, can Garrett Groshek be a feature back? Is that something that the Badgers have in store for him, or is his role going to kind of stay consistent as that number two, number three, third down back? Because I really like Garrett Groshek, but I don't know if the Badgers have bigger plans for him than what we've already seen. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Paul Camp, and you know that would have been something I, I would have looked for, is because he's never necessarily been a guy that Wisconsin's used in, in their base package. I mean, even go last year. 
as many carries as he was getting. He was never listed as the number two, even though there were a lot of games he was getting more carries uh, than Nikia Watson. He's always kind of been a gadget player for Wisconsin. They obviously ran him uh, in, in the Wildcats, you know, tried to get him out in space, threw to him a, a ton from the running back position. He was never that prototypical Wisconsin uh, put your pads down, um, play between the tackles type runner. And, you know, knowing John Settle, Wisconsin's running back coach, and being around him for, for so long, he, he prefers, you know, that, that more bruising style, a uh, bigger guy who can get you the tough yards between the tackles and really wear on an opponent uh, over the course of four quarters. Uh, by all accounts, Groshek is, is not that. However, he is listed as a co-starter, uh, with Watson to, to open up this season. So I, I am interested to see if they do try and get him more carries that way just because there's so much uncertainty at the running back position. I know a lot of people are you know looking to Watson to kind of be that next star, but, but I'm not sure we've necessarily seen anything that, that really uh, is evidence of that. I mean, you got to remember, he didn't get a single carry in, in Wisconsin's last two games. Mm-hmm of the 2019 season against Oregon and Ohio State. Um, and even a guy like Isaac Garendo got, got a carry, and um, I, I believe in the, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, so I'm not sure what to necessarily to expect from the running back position right now. I believe it's going to be by committee, and you know I think they'll start with a mixture of Watson and, and Groshek, and I think those younger guys, you know, Garendo, Jalen Berger, Julius Davis will, will get some work as well as Wisconsin kind of wants to see what they can do and, you know, if they can push those guys. Yeah, Evan Flood, uh, Wisconsin insider for CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, and here in lacrosse and in the MVC, kind of a folk hero, a uh, larger-than-life figure in the high school basketball community, at least as it's uh, related to Wisconsin players. Kobe King, uh, the Davis brothers, you've been here a lot, and we've seen some amazing games. We're not talking about basketball, though. That'll come uh, in a few weeks in the coming months. We're talking about football Evan, the way I see the Badgers' defense, and you tell me if I have it wrong, they have an experienced deep secondary. They got some some older players, but also some young players. They have a lot of depth. And I love Garrett Rand and Isaiah Loudermilk up front. Other than that, what other positions and players do I need to be ready to watch tomorrow night when the season starts? I think uh, the inside linebacker position could end up being a strength of this defense as well. We all know what Jack Sanborn did last season, leading the, the team in tackles. Um, you know, he might be Wisconsin's best draft prospect uh, in terms of guys who are eligible uh, right now. And then next to him, Wisconsin's going to plug in uh, Leo Chanel, who played in, I believe it was 10 games as a true freshman, 10 or 11 uh, last season. He's considered one of the, the best young players on, on Wisconsin's roster. And, you know, pound for pound is, is probably the strongest guy uh, on the roster. Uh, so, you know, Chris Orr is a, a tough loss, but but I think Chanel will, will do just fine there. Um, I'm not sure he can replicate what he did, you know, getting 11 and a half sacks, but, but he's certainly a guy that can create pressure up the middle. He's also a thumper between the tackles, and he can really shut down the, the, the run game. Um, yeah, so aside from the defensive line, which we know is going to be stout, the secondary, which pretty much has everything back, minus Reggie Pearson, who wasn't medically cleared. You know, I, I do think the inside linebacker position, uh, you know, holds itself very well up against those other positions you mentioned. Well, that's exciting because the Packers have terrible inside linebackers, unlike your Vikings, who one of my favorite NFL players is Eric Kendricks. The Packers have nothing in inside linebackers, so it'll be a nice change of pace uh, watching the Badgers tomorrow night. Finally, last question for you, Evan. I want to 
I got to get one Graham Mertz question, and I know it's you know all that anybody's been talking about. I I want to know what Paul Chris is going to ask of Graham Mertz tomorrow night in his first start, and in the beginning of the season, what are they going to expect from him? Because I can't imagine a bunch of deep shots and and a bunch of crazy reads. Are, are they going to take it easy on Mertz from the start, or is it full bore? What does his role look like starting tomorrow night? Well, it's the way they handled Jack Cohn the year that he filled in for Alex Hornibrook in 2018 is any indication. I wouldn't expect Mertz to necessarily be cut loose. Uh, however, we're talking about two different quarterbacks here. And, you know, from an arm talent standpoint, uh, the throws that that Mertz can make, I think maybe you do get a little more aggressive uh, then uh, maybe you expect from, from Paul Chris working in a, a freshman quarterback. I mean, again, you know, not having seen Paul Camp, but, but going off of last year's camp and the limited appearances we saw him during the season, uh, pretty much everything you know the analysts said about Mertz uh, was correct. I mean, from an from an arm talent standpoint, I mean the ball just jumps off his his hands differently than the other quarterbacks on the roster. He can fit the ball into tight windows. Just has that special touch uh, when you're talking about dropping passes in between uh, the safeties and, and the linebackers. If they play zone, can, can make plays outside the pocket and you know throw accurately uh, on the run. Uh, so they can possibly do more things offensively uh, with Merch, just given the, the type of talent he is. But but another reason maybe I'm optimistic that they will unleash him a little bit. If you watched this Illinois matchup a year ago, Wisconsin really took the bait from Lovey Smith and didn't pass the ball nearly as much as they should have. Mm-hmm. And Illinois started to make it a point of emphasis in the second half that they just weren't going to let Jonathan Taylor beat them, and Wisconsin receivers were getting the easiest seven, eight, nine-yard completions I had ever seen you know, for, for and, you know, almost in college football. It was that easy, and Wisconsin kind of let Illinois off the hook by trying to force-feed the ball uh, to Jonathan Taylor, and if you look at what when Wisconsin threw on on first down, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but I wrote you know Cone was I think five of seven for for sixty some yards and a touchdown. Um, of his five completions, four of them were ten yards or more. So I think you can catch Illinois uh, off guard in, in this game, not only from what happened last year, maybe what they're expecting this Wisconsin offense to do, but because you have a freshman quarterback and they may go into this game thinking. You know, they're going to do everything they can to protect him and, and run the ball and, and be very conservative. Yeah, I remember that about the Illinois game. It, it seemed like they were one or two big completions away from just simply winning it. And, and they just, for whatever reason, wouldn't turn Jack Cohen loose. So I, I'm glad that you brought up that example because it's one that I reference a lot on this show. Evan, I appreciate you. I, I don't know what the situation is going to look, look like for high school football if you're ever in lacrosse, I'll, I'll try to find you and say hey. But otherwise, enjoy the game on Friday. Enjoy the start of football season. And I appreciate you once again. Thanks, Evan. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's Evan Flood, insider for 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. It is it is weird. And our lacrosse listeners know this. And, you know, if you're listening in Madison and you're a high school football fan, you have some pull with the student section. Let's get that going in, in other communities as well. Let's just start chanting for Evan Flood for no reason. At gymnasiums all across the state. Because it cracked me up. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Entire student sections chanting, Evan Flood, Evan Flood. Like we're at a WWE match. God, it was awesome. I hope high school basketball is able to come back this year. Really blessed being able to watch Kobe King, Johnny Davis, Jordan Davis, who, of course, Kobe, you know, the story is a little bit different, but the Davis boys 
you know, on their way to Madison this winter. I can't wait, and I hope we have basketball to talk about. No doubt if we do, Evan Flood will be on the short list of people I want to talk to. Okay, let's take a break. Final thoughts coming up next. I don't really have anything planned for this final segment except a preview that I was bored and I created earlier this morning. And, of course, any of your thoughts and uh, final topics you'd like to cover. 608-796-2558. Hit me up. Ten minutes left of the Wisco Sports Show. We'll wrap it up after this.